Tonight our lesson is dealing with a river of life. And we're going to be talking about the subject of how to get a new beginning, how to be clean. But we're starting, of course, with an amazing fact. The highest mountain in the world is Mount Everest, 29,028 feet, uh, give or take a few inches. They're as close as they can measure it. The deepest ocean in the world is the Marianas Trench, 35,813 feet, which means, in theory, you could take the Mount Everest, cut it off at sea level, place it in the deepest ocean, and you'd still have approximately a mile of water covering it. That's a deep sea out there. Now, why is that important? The Bible says if you have faith, you can say into this mountain, be plucked up and be cast into the sea, and it will be done for you. And then the Bible tells us that our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. So the good news is it doesn't matter how big your mountain of sin might be, God's ocean of grace is deep enough to cover the whole thing, and then he plants a no fishing sign. Amen? Amen. So that's a good, amazing fact. The deepest ocean is higher than the highest mountain. Tonight's lesson is dealing with a river of life. And it comes to us in our historical from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story of Naaman. Now, Naaman was a mighty general who worked for the Syrian king. The Bible has only good things to say about him to a point. It tells us that he was a brave man, an honorable man, a man that the Lord could use. He was used by God in valor. He was a, a courageous man, probably worked his way up through the ranks as a soldier. And his exploits in battle gave him a reputation where as he went down the streets of Damascus, everybody recognized Naaman. But uh, something happened. He was rich. He was famous. But the Bible tells us in those five words that end the first verse, but he was a leper. You know, disease sometimes is indiscriminate. And he came down with that dreaded, incurable disease of leprosy. Now, just to give you the picture, in Bible times, a leper was isolated from those who were clean, could not embrace his wife or hug his children. As he walked down the streets of Damascus, he had to cry unclean. People no longer wanted to gather around and hear his stories. It was a disease that caused separation. You know, leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. Sin separates. Isaiah says, your sins have separated you from God. Sin will separate you from God. Sin will separate you from each other. And sin will separate you from you. Some people don't even like themselves. When you give your heart to the Lord, you love the Lord, you love your neighbor, you love yourself. Amen. Sin works the opposite. It's a disease. It's a deadly disease. Well, the Bible goes on and tells us something remarkable happened. Evidently, the Syrians had gone out on one of their raids and they captured a young Israelite girl and she served Naaman's wife. And instead of being angry that she'd been carried away to be a slave in the, this uh, foreign kingdom, Syria and Israel were often at battle with each other. When Naaman came down with leprosy, this young girl could have thought, well, good, I hope he rots. But she maybe read the story of Joseph and she said, you know, if I'm going to be a servant, I'm going to be a good servant. And she gave a message of hope to Naaman's wife. She said, only if my master was with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, who's going to believe the message from a little servant girl? When you're desperate, you're ready to accept just about anything. And so Naaman, pretty soon word reached the king and he made provisions. And he took his escort and a great deal of money to pay for his healing. Took about half a million dollars in gold and silver and clothing. That's about like medical bills today. To go to the prophet. Now, the prophet was Elisha. Elisha had never healed anybody before. Incidentally, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yahshua. It means Jehovah is Savior. Elisha's name is Elohim Shua. It means God is Savior. It's a very similar name. Interesting thing about Elisha, he had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Nobody ever came to Elisha with a problem that was turned away. He worked a miracle for everybody in need, whether the water tasted bad or their borrowed tools were missing. And that's how Jesus is. He cares about all of our needs, doesn't he? Amen. Well, pretty soon, Naaman made his way to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel had a fit. 
He said, why are you coming to me? Am I supposed to be a miracle cure? Well, the little girl did not say, go to the king of Israel. She said, go to the prophet. And the king of Israel thought that the king of Syria was trying to incite a war. And he ripped his clothes and it was in the headlines the next day. King tears clothes. And pretty soon word reached Elisha that Naaman had come seeking healing. And Elisha the prophet sent a message to the king of Israel. He said, let him come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. Sometimes people forget that God's alive. We go to the government instead of going to God with our problems. And Naaman made his way to the house of Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He sends a servant. You know, Jesus often sends messengers instead of speaking to us directly. And the servant says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh will be restored. Evidently, his leprosy had advanced to the place where he maybe was even missing some of his extremities. Your flesh will be restored. He was in pretty bad shape. And you'll be clean. Have you ever felt dirty and longed to be clean? You know, I came back from India. And I'll tell you, it's really sad. They still have lepers there that uh, they're missing their toes and their fingers. And they live in the streets. And the streets are very dirty. And, and that's the picture I've got in my mind. Well, Naaman was insulted. First of all, he's insulted that he's got to listen to the message of this little slave girl. Then he's turned away by the king of Israel. Then he comes to see Elisha the prophet. And he's used to dealing in palaces with the dignitaries. And he doesn't even honor him with a personal visit. He sends out his servant. Then he says, go wash. Now, what's implied when someone says, go wash? You're dirty. The Jordan River was not that clean. It was sort of a brownish green color. And when you're told to wash seven times, what's implied there? When you're told to wash seven times in a dirty river, what's implied? And that was more than he could stand. And he spun his chariot around in a rage and he stormed off and he shouting at the top of his lungs, can't I go back to Damascus and wash in the rivers of Abana and Parfar? Aren't they much cleaner than all the waters of Israel? And he was right. The rivers in Damascus were cleaner than the Jordan, but God said the Jordan. Does God mean what he says? God is specific, but God is merciful. And on his way back to Damascus, he had to go by the Jordan River. You can be lost if you want to, but God is going to make it difficult for you. If you want to be lost, you've got that freedom, but you're going to have to march over the broken body of this on your way to destruction. He and the cross stand in your way as an obstacle. And when he came to the Jordan River, as he was going by, his servants came to him. They said, you see, they drew near. He had leprosy. They had to keep a distance. And now they're taking risk and they draw near. And they say, Master, if he had told you to go fight a battle or climb a mountain or do some great deed, you would have done it. He says, wash and be clean. You're right here. What have you got to lose? First, he gets a message from little girl, then from the servant of Elisha, now from his own servants. You know, sometimes it's not any one message that reaches us, but a series of things that happen over the course of our life. A lot, uh, Naaman thought that his problem was leprosy. His problem was pride. Good man, but he was a proud man. And he had to get all these messages from these humble sources. And now he had to get off his high horse, take off his glittering armor, there with everybody watching, sort of humiliating to see all your leprosy, walk down in the muddy waters of the Jordan, brushing aside the scum on the surface. And he dips himself down once and he comes up. He's still got his spots, still has his leprosy. Twice. He says, what's the use? I'm not going to be any cleaner the third time than I was the second or the fourth. Why not get out? It's not working. What did God say? How many times? When God says something, does he mean it? When God said to Joshua, march around the city seven times and you'll get the victory. The walls will fall and you'll be blessed. It did not happen after six times. They marched around on the seventh day, seven times. They blew the trumpet and then God worked his power. When God says that he's blessed the seventh day, he means the seventh day. God is specific. And a lot of people miss the power and blessing that God has for them because they think it doesn't matter. They want to do it their way. But Naaman, probably ready to quit. And his servant said, look, you've gone this far. Just do it seven times. And he complied. He thought, what have I got to lose? I'm going to go home and die. And he dipped down again three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. And he came up the seventh time. The spots were gone. You, he, he must have felt something. Must have felt his flesh popping back into position and fingers popping and toes popping back where they belong. I don't know, but he must have felt something. And he was happy. The Bible says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child.
That always cracks me up. You picture this brave, fearless general with baby skin. Soldiers said, boy, you're healed. Can I touch? You know, and that's what a Christian is. A Christian is a soldier who is a child of God. Except you become converted and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, this is the story of how to be healed from the leprosy of sin in the Jordan River. And the Jordan in the Bible is a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. Children of Israel had to cross the Jordan to get into the promised land. And the Jordan is a symbol of baptism. Let's go now to question number one. And I want to preface what I'm going to say by asking you, please, as far as possible, fill out and... and and uh, mark your name on your envelope. Did you bring your envelopes with you? Fill out your name on your envelope because tonight I'm going to ask you to make a decision about the Lord. Let me tell you why. This weekend we are covering some of the heaviest subjects in Revelation. I don't want you to face those subjects without first settling your relationship with the Lord. We are going to get into all these things we promised. But for me to share information about prophecy and the future and the beast and all these subjects before you've made a commitment to the Lord, all that's going to do is intensify your judgment because you'll have more knowledge and no commitment. That's why this subject is placed where it is. And I want you to experience the joy of being clean. Amen. Number one, what New Testament prophet used the Jordan River for baptizing and cleansing? Say the answers with me. It tells us, then it says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and then went out to him, all Jerusalem and all Judea, and they were in the region round about Jordan, and they were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest of the prophets. Why do you think he said that? Well, several reasons. One is, John was the one who actually introduced Christ to the world. He sort of uh, announced the Lord. He was the bridegroom. He was a humble man. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And furthermore, John had the privilege of helping people experience the commitment to Christ. John, you might say, was the minister who married people to Jesus through baptism. That's what it's all about. It's a commitment to Christ. Number two, what glorious Bible ceremony symbolizes a washing away from the leprosy of sin? You can read it here in your lesson. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. It says, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, you notice it says that baptism is connected with washing away sin. Does the water wash away sin? Can H2O wash away our sins? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But your faith in Christ is shown through your acting out baptism. Just like you are saved by virtue of your faith in Christ's sacrifice. Maybe you did not see it, but you are saved by faith in that. And when you follow Christ in baptism, you do experience a cleansing that you will feel by faith. Answer, I'm sorry, question number three. According to the Bible... How many different kinds of baptism are acceptable? Ephesians chapter 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now, I believe that means there's one truth we are baptized into, and there's one Lord. But biblically, there's one method of baptism that's seen, only one, throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at uh, the evidence for that. A lot of different things are done these days that are called baptism. Now, the Bible tells us that... Uh, all right, I want to go on. Question number four. I want to move along here. I'm looking at the clock and I don't have as much time to cover the material I have. What does the word baptize mean? Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. To understand something about the biblical method of baptism, all you have to do is look at the word. The word baptizo is the word that's often used. It means to dip, immerse, to plunge underwater. It means to complete, completely submerge. It's a word that's found in ancient Greek texts when they would uh, dye cloth. They would baptizo the cloth. They would immerse it, plunge it under. And that's what the word means because the symbol is very important. 
Some people say, well, it's just a ceremony, whether you're sprinkled or whether you're poured. You know, one reason we're addressing this is because there are so many different religions in the world today that are saying, because it's a symbol, the manner of baptism doesn't really matter. I respectfully disagree. I think when God establishes these sacred ceremonies, the symbols are very important. You know, we have in the Christian church a ceremony. It comes from the Passover service of the unleavened bread, which is a type of the body of Christ, and that unfermented grape juice, which is a type of the pure blood of Christ. And I heard one pastor say, well, obviously it's not the literal body and the literal blood. So, you know, since it's a symbol, as long as you believe, let's use hamburgers and Coca-Cola. That's blasphemous. And people, the sacred service of marriage. Why does a bride typically wear white for the wedding? What does it symbolize? See, you know, these things have meaning. Now, my mom, on her last wedding, she was married four times, she wore scarlet. She understood the symbols. My mom was sort of a renegade. But people now with weddings, you know, they're, people are jumping out of airplanes and getting married, doing their vows as they plummet towards the ground before they open their parachutes. And other people are getting married while they scuba dive or they go off a waterfall in a kayak. And, you know, it, you lose the sacredness of the service when... Uh, you do this. So the symbol and maintaining the exact technique that God designed does have an importance to it because a lot of beauty is lost when we neglect that. Question number five. Jesus is our example. How was he baptized? Now, we want to follow Christ's example. Am I right? Mark chapter one, verse nine and ten. The Bible says Jesus came and was baptized in the Jordan of John in the Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. The Bible tells us Christ came up out of the water. Now, why was Jesus baptized? To wash away his sin? There are three principal reasons that Christ was baptized. Number one, the Bible says he's given us an example that we should walk as he walked. So he was baptized as an example for us to follow. The second reason Christ was baptized is so that we might expect what he experienced. Christ, when he was baptized, began a life of ministry. When a person marries Christ through baptism, they then too become a servant of the Lord and begin working for the Lord. Furthermore, they hear God say, you are my son. They're adopted into the family. God said to Jesus, I'm well pleased with you. He becomes well pleased with us. The Spirit came. God gives you the Spirit because you cannot live the Christian life without the Christian Spirit. So we are told to expect what Christ experienced. Third reason. Now, this may be new for some of you. Christ was baptized also in behalf of those who cannot be. Now, what about the thief on the cross? Jesus said, verily I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. We learned about that. He's not there yet, but he's going to be in paradise. Was he baptized? We have no evidence that he was. Does that mean he couldn't be saved? The Bible tells us baptism is very important. We get credit for Christ's perfect life by faith. He will give credit to those who cannot be baptized by faith for his baptism. He wasn't baptized for his sins, was he? So we can claim by faith his baptism if we cannot be baptized. Like Pastor Doug sometimes goes to the hospital. I'll visit people who come to the Lord in the 11th hour of their life. It doesn't happen often, but it does occasionally occur. They're hooked up to all these machines and this plumbing and wires, and they can't be baptized because of their sickness. Is that going to be an obstacle to their salvation? Or will Jesus give them credit for his baptism? Sometimes I go to prisons. There's a person on death row. And the prison will not accommodate a baptism because of security problems. That person can still be saved by faith if they genuinely repent. Christ will give them credit for his baptism. Now, there's more I want you to notice about baptism. The Bible tells us I've got some additional scriptures. Now, John, the Baptist was also baptizing in Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came there and they were baptized. The Bible says he needed much water. You know, in the summertime, the Jordan River is sometimes a series of stagnating pools. You've got to find a place where the water is deep enough. If sprinkling and pouring and these other methods are the biblical technique of baptism, John did not need a river. He could have used a canteen in the desert, right? He could have used a spring or a well up in Jerusalem. He needed a large body of water because people were buried. They were immersed. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible tells us that they were baptized in the sea. Baptism is the place where we leave Egypt and we begin our journey to the promised land, right? We leave the devil's territory. It marks our transition point from being freed from slavery and beginning a new direction for your life. Well, they, God could have made the children of Israel walk on water. Is that right? But he said, no, I want you below water level. He, they baptized them in the sea. And then he baptized them in the cloud, the spirit. And you must be born of the water and the spirit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Number six, how did Philip... Let's look at some Bible examples here. How did Philip baptize the treasurer from Ethiopia? You can find this in Acts chapter 8, verse um, 38 and 39. It says, They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then it goes on to say, When they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Well, you know, the, the Ethiopian man was reading his Bible and he says, I believe, I want to be baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, he said, here's water. He didn't point to his canteen or his water skin. They got out, they went down in the water, they got up out of the water. It's the only method you'll find in the Bible for baptism was immersion, being plunged under. Number seven, what other Bible truths are symbolized by baptism? Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. Baptism is a symbol of burial and resurrection. And you lose these symbols when you get away from the biblical method of baptism. You can also read here in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism is symbolized by many things. It represents a new birth. You know, when a baby is in the mother, it's protected by an envelope of water. And when the water breaks and the baby emerges, it takes a breath. It symbolizes that a new stage of life has begun and you are a baby Christian after baptism. And the Bible tells us that we grow in the Lord and that uh, Jesus nurtures us and that we're to desire the sincere milk of the word after baptism. And so all of these analogies are there. The Bible tells us that baptism is a symbol of washing, cleansing. So all of these things are lost when a person is baptized. Have you seen a baptism before? I mean, a Bible baptism where a person's baptized by immersion. And I'd like to also talk to the ministers that might be watching out there because I have a little pet peeve I'd like to share with you. Baptism is to be a sacred funeral where the person steps into the water and you, they're praying and they're crossing the Red Sea. They are marrying Jesus. They are washing away their sins. The minister lays them under gently just till the water folds over them. You don't have to hold them down there a long time. I heard about one baptism where a Spanish gentleman just as he got in the water and he said, you know, I want to pray while I'm underwater. And so when you put me under, hold me there for a minute until I'm done praying and then I'll pinch you or something and you can bring me up. Well, he had thought of this at the last minute. None of the family or church knew about this. And the pastor said, OK. And so he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And he laid him under the water. Normally you bring him right up again. And he waited. And the family started getting a little antsy, you know. Pretty soon he pinched him, he brought him back up again. But uh, when you hold your breath for a moment there, it's a symbol of death. In the Bible, when a person breathed their last, breath was a symbol of life. We've learned that. God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. When you come out of the baptistry like a baby, you take that new breath, your sins are forgiven, you're a new creature. It symbolizes cleansing. But some pastors I've seen when they baptize people, it looks like an execution instead of a funeral. It should be gentle. They just... And, you know, we've been places where we've baptized hundreds of people and you want to accelerate the process. And so I tell them, please remember, this is a marriage for each of these people and you want to make it special. It needs to be sacred. I knew this one pastor who used to play water polo in his former life. He became a minister. He baptized this one lady and even though she attempted to pin her wig on, it flew <laughs> after when she, we thought a cat jumped out of the baptistry. <laughs> And so you want to be gentle with people, and it is sacred. And that's why I say this. I don't mean to be funny, but I mean that we need to treat it as a sacred service like a wedding. Question number eight. 
How important is baptism? What does Jesus say? Mark number 16, 16. You can remember that verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And John chapter 3 verse, and but he that believeth not shall be damned or lost. John 3 verse 5. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's pretty clear. Now, some people say born of the water. Well, that's talking about when you're born of a woman. I respectfully disagree. Have you heard that before? Some people say born of the water means when you're, you know, in the water sack in a woman. So unless you're born physically and born spiritually. How many of you here were born of a woman? Why would Jesus say that? Wouldn't that be redundant, obvious? Unless you're born of the water, baptism, and born of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You realize God's going to someday make a new earth. But this world was baptized in water back in the days of Noah. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, when Jesus comes back again, the world's going to be baptized in the fire. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, right? We all must be baptized in water and fire. The Spirit, that's what that means. The pillar of fire. And we also become new creatures. So, baptism is very, very important. Number nine. What blessed ceremony can be compared to baptism? Then you've got the answer there in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. You at home, please don't get lazy. Call out the answers with me. For as many of... You feel funny talking to the television set? Some of you who are watching on TV... Go ahead. You remember better when you repeat it. But as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put on his wedding garment. We become married to Christ. Marriage is probably the best example or ceremony that you can use to compare to baptism. In a marriage, there is... Well, first of all, you've got a scripture here. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The Bible speaks of the church as the bride of Christ. It's the new Jerusalem that the church lives in. It's called the bride that comes down out of heaven. Now, speaking of baptism, making some correlations with marriage. Some people think, you know, I've been struggling with sin, and I think if I could get baptized, I'd get the victory. I want to ask you, uh, let me ask the ladies this question. How many of you would be willing to marry a man who said, you know, I'd like to marry you, I want to I wanna be your husband, and I think if we could get married, I could stop dating these other girls? <laughs> Any takers on that kind of proposal? Would you want them to stop dating the other girls before you get married? A good time before you get married? Some people think that uh, baptism is going to make you stop dating the devil. I always have someone that comes to me and they say, Doug... Do I need to quit smoking before I get baptized? Well, it also represents a new birth. Anyone here ever seen a baby poking on a cigar when it's born? Is something wrong with that picture? And why would you want to enter your new life still chained to the devil with an addiction? Right? And I remember arguing with a pastor. I smoked and I told this pastor, I said, Lord knows I love him. Why can't I get baptized? I'll quit smoking eventually. He said, no, Doug. He said, you don't want to lose confidence in yourself. If you're going to feel weak. God can give you the power before. And if a person thinks baptism is going to make them stop sinning, that's not what it's for. Any more than marriage makes you stop dating other people. You need to be loyal to the Lord first. Some people think, if I get baptized, then I'll love the Lord. Ladies, would you say, I think if we could just have a marriage ceremony, we'd love each other. Would you accept that proposal? No. Some people want to get baptized, but they don't think it's important to join the church. Are there any ladies out there that would go for it if a guy said, you know, I love you, and I'm going to stop dating everyone else, and I want to marry you, but is it necessary for us to live together? <laughs> I mean, do we need to share expenses? That doesn't sound right. No, you, you become part of a family when you're baptized, and there's more on that as well. So marriage is probably the best example in the Bible of what the ceremony of baptism represents. It's... Baptism is typically done publicly. John did it at a river where everybody could watch, not in a closet. Now, I have friends overseas. Sometimes they must be baptized privately or they'll be instantly executed. But in most cases, if a person says they want to get baptized privately, you wonder why. Are they hiding it? What would you think, ladies, if a guy said, yes, I'd love to marry you, but do we need to tell anybody about this? <laughs> Just don't say you're my wife. You think, what's the matter with me, right? 
You, Jesus said, whoever's ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. Am I right? And so baptism is something done publicly. You should not be ashamed of Christ. Question number 10. Thank you. What command did Jesus give his people just before he ascended to heaven? Matthew 28, 19. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You know, the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven should be the first priority of the church. People say, oh, baptism is just a, that's a trivial doctrine. It was important enough for it to be the parting words of Christ as he ascended up into glory. He said, go ye therefore teach and baptize. In other words, encourage people to commit their lives to me that I might fill them with the Spirit. They might serve me. Christ began serving the Father at his baptism. His ministry began at his baptism. Baptism marks the starting point. It means you're surrendering yourself to the Lord and allowing him to fill you with his spirit. It's a very, very important thing that is often misunderstood. And I, my heart yearns over people. A lot of people have been baptized and they were not taught first. Um, they just like they were cattle being branded and they weren't sure what it meant. And they were robbed, I think, of the blessing that they were to receive by faith. Because Jesus said, go ye therefore, teach first, then baptize. You need to be taught the basics. Now, does a person need to understand everything before they're baptized? Nobody here would qualify. Only God knows all things. How many of you got married and then learned a lot about your spouse afterward? Any? Let's get an audience shot here. Hold your hands up. How many of you are still learning about your spouses? Let me see your hands. Okay. So obviously you'll continue learning, but there are fundamentals you should understand of the commitment before you get married and before you get baptized. And a person ought to be taught those things. We're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, you, how many of you have heard baptism isn't valid unless it's in the name of the Lord Jesus? Have you heard that? Let me deal with this head on. I have time. And uh, I, I'm saying that because Karen's down there going... <laughs> I have time. Some churches teach that unless you utter the words perfectly during the baptism, that it doesn't count. I don't accept that. I don't think the emphasis anywhere in the Bible is how the pastor or the apostle worded the decree. We don't even know what John said when he baptized the apostles. They were baptized before Christ began his ministry. So obviously they were not baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Am I right? The thing was, they were baptized in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Almighty. Now, Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 28. Acts chapter 2, it says, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 18, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10.48, in the name of the Lord. Acts 9.15, in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's worded differently in just about every passage. So, are the Bible writers emphasizing that the utterance of the pastor is, if you don't say it right, like some secret adabra, abracadabra, you, it doesn't count, you're disqualified? I don't think so, friends. If you believe that, you think God is petty. When I do a wedding, a couple will stand before me, and uh, I go over the vows with them in advance, and I say, there are certain things that must be in the vows, but there's some optional things in here. And one of the things that a lot of the ladies want to take out is the part about obey. That always comes out first thing. I haven't been able to sell that to anyone in a long time. In any event, then sometimes they'll say, do you want me to say, do you, Roger, take you, Sally? Sometimes they want all three of their names, in some cases all four of their names. The bottom line is, when I say, by the power vested in me in the Commonwealth of California, I now pronounce you man and wife, you might kiss the bride, gives me great honor to present to you. Roger and Sally, Mr. and Mrs., and I give the last name, and the people applaud, and I sign the document. They're married. It's legal. It's official. People put too much emphasis on the utterance as though God is, is uh, petty like that. I know one gentleman, a Spanish man, wanted to get baptized, and the pastor, who was not Spanish-speaking, tried to accommodate him and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Spanish which would be something like in the nombre de la Padre y Hijo Espíritu Santo, right? And he got flustered and he said, in el nombre de la Papa. <laughs> and that means, of course, Pope. So he baptized him in the name of the Pope, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And we had to think through that one. <laughs> but you know, I think God's got a sense of humor just like you do. Everybody there knew he was committing his life to the truth and the God of heaven. And I think the angels laughed that day. And so, you know, people are sometimes, they build a whole doctrine on some petty thing like that. Any of those Bible utterances would be official. Number 11. What biblical qualifications must precede baptism? I'm going to go quickly through the things a person needs to know. First of all, answer A, they must understand the teachings of Jesus. They need to be taught and they need to understand what is the commitment. Answer B, it's one thing to understand, the devil understands, but he doesn't believe, he's not going to follow. need to be willing to believe the teachings of Jesus. Amen? Answer C, and you've got the corresponding scriptures there need to be willing to repent of your past sins. That means a sorrow for and a turning away from. The Bible says whoever repents and forsakes his sin will have mercy. So like I said, you've got to stop dating the devil before you marry Jesus. That doesn't mean you'll never be tempted. Jesus was tempted. I'm tempted every single day. But the sins that are addictions, the patterns of sin, must be left behind. Sin should not have dominion over you when you make a commitment of baptism, okay? Answer E. Sorry, answer D. You need to believe with how much? All of your heart. That's what Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch. Answer E. Agree to turn from the life of sin. It's one thing to understand, but a willingness to repent. That's what turn means. And answer F. Accept Christ as your personal Savior and experience the new birth. Now, in light of the criteria that must precede baptism, should babies be baptized? Can you show me an example in the Bible where a baby was baptized? No. Is there an example in the Bible where a baby was dedicated to the Lord? Yes, it is appropriate to dedicate babies to the Lord. And I know a lot of you who are watching, and maybe many here, were baptized as babies. It's, your parents may have meant well to dedicate you to the Lord but you must choose to be baptized. You know, in some countries, the parents arrange the weddings. God has no prearranged weddings when it comes to baptism. It's a decision you must make. We all have a free will, and it's you must repent, you must believe, you must be taught. A baby cannot do these things. A baby has no sins to repent of, right? So you can dedicate your children. Jesus was dedicated as a baby, but how old was he when he was baptized? 30 years of age, as an example for you and me, that we should be adults old enough to understand the criteria. Number 12, where did all these counterfeit forms of baptism come from? Some people sprinkle with rose petals, they use salt, they say things over the phone, all these new baptisms cropping up. Where do they come from? Mark 7, verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Now, if you look into history a little bit, find out where it changed, you'll see right away that the early churches all practiced baptism by immersion. Here's a picture of some ruins of a first century church in Philippi. Whole churches built around a baptistry because they believed in immersion back then. Matter of fact, I've been here to the Tower of Pisa and across the courtyard from the Tower of Pisa, you've got this other church. And this church is again built around a baptistry in Rome. They've got churches, and here's a picture of one, baptistry in the middle of the church for immersing. If you study history, you'll quickly see that it was not until the Council of Ravenna in 1311 A.D. that sprinkling and pouring were officially accepted as equally valid as immersion in the rite of baptism. How did it happen? Like all compromises, it crept in slowly. As the priests and religious leaders began to become revered as gods in their own right, and wear these beautiful, fabulous robes and all the ornamentation, it became very impractical for them to get down in the water and get wet. And they were baptizing monarchs who didn't want to mess up their expensive hairdos. And so what began to happen is they said, well, since it's a symbol, let's dip a sheet in some holy water and we'll wrap the people up. Or let's just pour the water. And then they said, what's the difference between pouring a lot and pouring a little? And pretty soon they said, let's sprinkle a little and gradually, and it happened over many years, this compromise came in until pretty soon some churches gave up the biblical method altogether 
because the kings, they saw them getting baptized by sprinkling and pouring. They said, we want to do it the way the monarchs do it. Didn't look dignified for them to get down in a river. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us baptism is supposed to be dignified any more than a death than a burial. It's telling us that it's supposed to represent a humbling of ourselves and a cleansing. And when you, just like Naaman, what did Naaman have to do? Had to humble himself. So it happened gradually over time. Number 13. What does the Bible say about those who put the teachings of men before the truth of God? Answer. It says, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Galatians 1.8. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. The Bible tells us that it doesn't matter how many people are saying it's okay. If we don't follow the example of Christ, we're in danger. Now, are there going to be people in heaven who did not keep the right days of the Sabbath? Yes. Are there going to be people in heaven who maybe were not baptized biblically? Yes. Why? The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, I believe it's verse 30, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at means he closed his eyes because there was sincerity. They did not know. But now that we know, he commands people to repent and to follow him. And here we now are now on the verge of the second coming. The Lord wants us to return to the Bible, the faith that was once delivered to the saints, and do things his way now and not follow the crowd. Amen? Amen. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. Question number 14. But doesn't baptism of the Holy Spirit replace baptism by immersion? You know, there's some churches that say all you need is baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's so important that if you're not baptized by water, well, that's irrelevant. That's just the symbol. Uh, you can't support that biblically. Listen to what Peter said. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. After Peter and the apostles were baptized by the Holy Spirit, then Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter told them that it was important to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit after they were baptized. You know, a lot of people forget the importance of that. Now, the apostles were baptized by John the Baptist. Then, three and a half years later, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it happens a little later. You read in the book of Acts where Cornelius, chapter 10, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Peter didn't say, well, that's good enough. You don't need water baptism. Peter said, no, now we need to baptize you in water. And so he was baptized by water afterward. Jesus, of course, was baptized by the water and the Spirit at the same time. So it happens different ways in the Bible, but Jesus said, you must be born of the water, you must be born of the Spirit. You need both, right? The sequence might be, it might surprise you when, when the Lord hits you with the Spirit. But both are biblically important. Question number 15. Is rebaptism ever proper or appropriate? The answer is yes. Now, let me give you the scripture. It's a long one. Acts chapter 19, verse 2 through 5. And it says that Paul, when he was traveling through uh, these Asian regions, he met some 12 Ephesian believers. And he asked them if they had believed and were baptized. And they said, we have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They had not heard about the outpouring of the Spirit. They had missed much about the teachings of Christ. They were baptized by John the Baptist. They did not have internet back then and CNN news. They went up miles away. They had not heard all these things that had happened. And he said, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, unto John's baptism. Now, did John baptize by immersion? Yeah. Nothing wrong with the method of baptism there. And they said, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Then it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You might say they were rebaptized. Now, there are three reasons a person might be rebaptized. First of all, if you were baptized as a baby, or some unbiblical method, either one of those, you should be baptized biblically as an adult, understanding the criteria. Isn't that right? Amen. Secondly, if you were baptized and you've divorced yourself from the Lord, baptism is a symbol of marriage. Now, this is something I like to make clear. 
Now, some people think you get baptized and a week later you sin and you lose your temper or you do something like you've got to run and get baptized again. That trivializes the importance of your baptism. I don't believe in people getting baptized multiple times every time they get discouraged. We all get discouraged. I do. Uh, God's designed something else for um, repetitive cleansing. You know, Jesus' blood is available. If we sin, we confess. Don't need to remarry. But if you've divorced yourself from the Lord, you stop going to church and you wander off like the prodigal son. If you're going to return, just like any country, you should remarry the Lord. You may pray about it, talk to the pastor. It may be appropriate for you to be rebaptized. The third reason, like these Ephesian believers, if you've missed out on major portions of the gospel and you've come into a whole new understanding of what the truth is all about, they had not heard about Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. They said, we want a new beginning. We want to receive the Holy Spirit. And they were rebaptized. I heard about a Baptist pastor, a good Christian man. He heard these messages. He said, you know, I've learned so much. I was baptized into nine commandments. Now I know the Sabbath truth. I want to get baptized into all ten. And he was rebaptized. And so, and he got a special blessing of the Holy Spirit when he did that. And so you'll need to pray about that. And we'll talk more about that in your questions if you have questions on that issue. Some people are baptized and they're buried alive. They never really die to self first. And they need to do that. Number 16. Is baptism connected with joining a church? Answer, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They were added to the church. Acts 2, 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You're part of a family when you're born again, right? Colossians 3.15 You are called into one body. Goes on then in uh, Colossians 1.18 Christ, He is the head of the body of the church. The church is the body of Christ. We become part of the body, part of the family when we're baptized. And 1 Corinthians 12.13 For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. This is a baptism that uh, we conducted amazing facts in uh, Madras, India this year, where several hundred made decisions and they were baptizing three at a time in the tank there. Very sacred day. So yes, you become part of the church and part of the family when you're baptized. Like I said, I wonder about someone who wants to get married but does not want to live with the spouse. And uh, number 17, if I refuse baptism, whose counsel am I refusing? Luke 7 verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Now, if I share an opinion and you don't agree, it's no big deal. When I read the word of God and we reject the word of God, that is a big deal. And that's why we need to be willing to embrace what the Lord shows us. You know, I was living up in the cave shortly after accepting Jesus. Some very sincere Christian Calvary Baptist gentlemen came hiking by my cave. And they stopped to catch their breath and they asked if I was a Christian. I said, yeah, I just accepted the Lord. I've been reading my Bible. I'm a Christian now. I prayed. And they said, have you been baptized? I said, um, no, I hadn't studied that yet. They gave me a real rapid Bible study on baptism. And they didn't read the part about being taught. They said, you need to be baptized. I said, okay. I wanted to cooperate, you know. And so... Uh, the water in front of my cave came from melted snow on top of Mount San Jacinto. So we got down in the water and I was baptized. And I'll tell you what, I felt born again for some time. <laughs> it took me a while to recover from that. But I hadn't been taught. So I thought, praise the Lord, I've been baptized. I'm going to go to town and celebrate. So I went to town. I bought some beer to celebrate my new birth. <laughs> Before the sun went down that day, I was in jail. Witnessing to the other people in the cell with me about my baptism that morning. You know, there, there's, you need to be taught about what the commitment means. Number 18. When Jesus was baptized, what did his father say? Mark 1, 9 and 11. And it came to pass in those days when Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I want to read something to you real quick. What can we expect at baptism? 
What happened to Jesus is what we should expect. Notice what it says here. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. It tells us the heavens were open. When you're baptized, the heavens are open. We are denied access except through Christ when we commit our lives to Him. Then it says, He saw. Your vision is enhanced. Otherwise, it's the blind leading the blind. The Spirit of God comes into your life. You can't live the Christian life without the Christian spirit. You can't fight the devil in the wilderness without the Spirit of God. It came like a dove. God will give you peace. So many people are living in fear. Would you like that peace that passes understanding? Then you hear a voice. You will hear God speaking to you, a still small voice guiding you. Amen? Saying, this is my beloved son. You are adopted into the family. You become a child of God. And then he says, in whom I am well pleased. No matter how bad your sins have been. No matter how much you've disappointed the Lord. No matter how filthy you've been. No matter how deep your leprosy. You can be clean in the blood of the Lamb. Do you believe that, friends? All that Christ experiences is an example of what God wants you to experience. The power, the joy, the peace, the access to heaven. It can be yours when you make a commitment to invite the Lord into your life. You need to be taught first. I'm going to invite you who are watching and you who are here to pray about your decision. Many of you have never been baptized or maybe you've not been baptized biblically or you've not been baptized into the truth. Jesus is the truth that will set you free. The Lord could be speaking to you right now. Father in heaven, I believe eternal decisions are being made right now, both here in New York City, across North America, around the world. Jesus is calling people. He's been calling them all their lives, just as Naaman heard many messages, but he resisted. I pray, Lord, that they will respond, that they will allow you to plunge them in the blood of the Lamb, that they will step into the Jordan River, that they might be restored, they might become like little children and have cleansing and new life. Lord, I pray that they can experience Jesus saying that they are your beloved children, the heavens being opened being filled with the Spirit. Why would we say no, Lord? I pray that your Spirit will strive with each heart right now who needs to make this decision. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there was a man, the Bible tells us, who was full of leprosy. Had to go everywhere saying, unclean, unclean. And he approached Jesus. The crowd probably shouted him back and threw stones at him, but Christ did not shrink away. The man was covered with filthy rags, and that's how we come. His disease was obvious. Even Luke, the physician, says, full of leprosy. But he said to Jesus, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. He came in faith. And Jesus not only said, I will, it says he reached out and touched him. And he said, be thou clean. You know, when God says be, something happens. He said, let there be light, and that's how it all happened, right? And when God says, be clean, he was clean. God can make you clean, friends. Doesn't matter how far you wandered or what your sins were. That's the whole purpose for this seminar. You can understand the prophecies. You can understand the future. But we want you to know the Lord. He is the one. He is the truth that is going to set you free.